0: Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast.
1: I find a lot of people find intimidating is the word because it automatically makes you think, oh my gosh, I have to think quickly on the spot. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. I'm just talking, right? But this is improv. And this is every single day of our lives is an improv scene. We get to choose an adventure after an adventure. And the beautiful thing about you is that You don't even recognize that power is that you are an improviser. You're doing it.
0: Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles, and on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice passion struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 153 of Passion Struck, recently ranked as one of the top 50 most inspirational podcasts in the world. And thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. In case you missed my episode from earlier in the week, it featured Dr. David Yaden, who is a researcher at the Johns Hopkins University Medical School, and he works in their Center for Psychedelic and consciousness research. And our discussion is all about self-transcendence through that lens. My interviews last week, in case you missed them, featured Kathy Heller, host of the extremely popular Kathy Heller Show. And we discussed the importance of knowing yourself and living with intentionality. I also had on former army ranger, Jesse Gould, where we talk about his heroic hearts project, which is helping veterans overcome trauma through the use of psychedelic therapy. If you love any of these episodes episodes, we would so appreciate it if you would forward them to friends or family members and tell them where they can get their weekly dose of inspiration. And we are so thankful for the thousands of five-star ratings that you give us. These are making such a huge difference to the popularity of this podcast and our passion struck movement. Thank you so much for those ratings and reviews. They mean so much to us both on iTunes and on Spotify. Now let's talk about today's guest. Aaron Big Deal is a business improv, edutainer, failfluencer, and professional zombie. Gotta love that introduction. Through a series of unrelated dares, Erin created Improve It, a unique professional development company that pushes others to laugh, learn, play, and grow. Erin is a graduate from Clemson University and a former experiential marketing and recruiting professional, as well as a veteran improviser. She's the proud host of the Improve It Podcast, which helps leaders and teams develop through play, improv. In experiential learning. We discuss how her life's path took her to attending Clemson University and the lessons that she learned from being a division one athlete. We discuss her admiration for Oprah and why that admiration led her to actually moving to Chicago to pursue her dreams. How she discovered improv and what it was like to go through improv training at the legendary second city in Chicago. The five rules of improv and how you can improve your life every day. How she uses improv to coach teams, to tackle imposter syndrome and facing failure. Why she is dedicating much of her efforts to fail fluencing and helping people understand the importance of perseverance. We end the show doing our own ad hoc improv session, something I think the audience is absolutely going to love. Thank you for choosing PassionStruck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin so excited to welcome aaron deal to the passion struck podcast welcome aaron
1: thank you for having me john um, i am honored thrilled to be here so thank you
0: i am very excited about this interview and really looking forward to learning a lot more about improv and how that can affect both your work life and your personal life but i thought for the audience Maybe an interesting place to start is I was researching you and found out that you went to Clemson and then found out you like to dance. And I heard there's this group there called the Rally Cats. Were you part of that? And can you tell me more about it?
1: John, I would be glad to. So yes, these are my glory days. No, but it was 20 years plus ago that uh, I was able to go to... My family's tradition. It's Clemson has been in my family for years. My dad went there. My brother, um, the guy I married is is went to Clemson as well, but we didn't know each other until after, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, I was a rally cat. I danced my whole life and had vowed to not go to Clemson. That was sort of where I said, "I'm going to be different. I'm going to art school and going to be a theater major," which is what every parent wants to hear. And my dad took me to a basketball game at Clemson my senior year of high school. And I saw the rally cats dance and perform and I was a dancer and said, I'm gonna do that. And so you couldn't audition till your sophomore year, I auditioned my freshman year going into sophomore year, made the team. And it was one of the best experiences of my life to stand on a football field in front of 80,000 passionate people who love, Clemson is one of those schools that the spirit is so strong. If I mean, even before we were national champions, the you get on campus and you just feel this energy, this positivity, this community. And it's in Clemson, South Carolina, so there's nothing there but the school. And you go into the, you drive into this, it, it literally through like fields of nothing. And there's tiger paws on the pavement as you get into Clemson, downtown Clemson. And I loved being a part of the dance team. It was a varsity sport. I got a varsity letter. We competed. We were sixth in the nation, my junior year. Um, and it was an absolute blast. And some of my best friends are from my days of being a rally cat, still to this day. So I loved it. Yeah,
0: well that's incredible that you got that opportunity and i understand that you started dancing at a very young age so i was wondering with what you do now how influential was dancing to your life progression and who you are today
1: john i like this question so i started dancing at three my mother was in community theater she taught singing lessons and piano lessons out of my house and I did not, again, this is me being stubborn. I didn't want to be like my mom. I, and I couldn't sing, so there was that. She put me in dance at three and I fell in love with it. And what was so interesting to me as I continued performing and acting and singing, well, I did sing, but not well. It's more like an upscale karaoke. I really started to just understand that dance is a team sport. You can't, unless you're doing a solo, there's so much teamwork that has to, be, it has to be taken accounted for when you're creating these, these combinations, these formations. So I fell in love with being a part of a team through dance and I fell in love with performing through dance. I fell in love with making somebody smile. And I, I'll say this, I don't wanna brag, but I will. As a rally cat i was one of the most well-known rally cats during the time i was there because i connected with the audience i was very um expressive which is shocking to no one who knows me but i was very attuned to creating connection and so i also had a script i had a choreography so when i started to do improv training and when i started to immerse myself in that world it was actually really hard for me to let go of control because I wanted a script so that took time and effort but the things that I received from my dance training were just discipline the importance of team and the importance of that community and the importance of knowing that if I do my part that the team is going to succeed not just me it was it, any parent who thinks about putting their kid into dance should do it immediately it was a very very important part of my development. And still, I carry a lot of it with me today and the work I do now.
0: Well, I'm sure it also helps with self-esteem. And also, if you start learning how to see that you make mistakes and are able to laugh at yourself and able to overcome some of that stage fright at an early age, I'm sure that is very helpful as you get older as well. So I heard this rumor that you wanted to be Oprah and followed her all the way to chicago is this a true story
1: oh john i love this research this is good this is good yeah and i I still like if i could be her or meet her today oops are you listening um no i just think that she is fantastic at what she does and and again that's sort of that theme she connects with her audience she knows what they want she loves people and the way that she's used her platform for good has always been inspirational to me. So yes, I followed her from my, I graduated Clemson with a degree in communications, not theater, okay? said, what does one do with this? How do you become a talk show host? There was no um, courses, online courses back then. It was 2005. Facebook had just come out. (laughs) There was no social media really at that time. Thank God. And I said, what should I do? How do I train to become a talk show host? So I ended up moving to Chicago, the home of OPS. And I walked my... 21-year-old, 22-year-old self into the Actors' Equity office, auditioned for a show that involved improv, got the part because it was a part for a dancer typecast, and said, okay, I guess I need to invest in some improv training. And Chicago is the heartbeat of improv. So that's what catapulted it. And I did go to a taping of the Oprah Winfrey show. And it was magical. I cried. I actually took my now husband on his birthday and he was like, this is not a present for me. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but it, she, I, I love her. I love her so much. I actually have a picture of her in my office. Um, this artist, it's called Celebs on Sandwiches. So he puts celebrities on sandwiches. So I have Oprah sitting on a caprese sandwich looking at me while I work almost every day.
0: Well, I love this story and she's an inspiration to me as well. In fact, a lot of what she has done with Oprah and the platform are in the future where I hope Passion Struck will go once we transition from podcast into doing more uh, television, short movies and other things. So I couldn't agree more. I was lucky enough that I have been to the Second City multiple times because my really good friends here in St. Petersburg, Florida, Are a prominent family in Chicago, and they own a ton of property there, probably close to a billion dollars worth of property. And they own the um, old city bar that's catty corner to it. So it was very convenient there. But if someone doesn't know the second city, I'm just going to give out some of the names, Alan Alda, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Bill Murray, and others. And before we get into talking about uh, the second city where you studied, and if the listener isn't aware, it's probably the predominant comedy and improv club in the entire country, some might say the entire world. But one day, my aunt, who grew up in Chicago and Glenview, she was walking down an alley um, after work, it was dark out, and suddenly someone grabs her from behind and starts swinging her around. (sighs) And she's in shock. And it's her elementary classmate, Bill Murray, (gasps) swinging her around saying, Pat, how's it going? Stop. And she said, even to this day, he will go back to elementary school and middle school reunions. And she just said he was just the funniest kid she ever met. (laughs) A little bit of a detour there, but I thought you would like it.
1: (laughs) I love it. Wait, can I, can I jump in on that really quick? Because this is parallel. You and I were chatting before the show. Bill Murray actually lives in Charleston, South Carolina, where I, I now currently live. And he is known to – there's a whole documentary on him. On Netflix, he's known to just pop up in random bars and random house parties in Charleston. Did you know that? Like, he literally just shows up, and it's like the and he's like the man of the city. Like everybody is like, "Where's Bill Murray?" Isn't that insane? He's just a good guy.
0: Yeah, I had no idea he lived in Charleston. I could imagine it based on what my aunt has told me, the antics he used to throw. But uh, seems just like just a real genuine nice guy. But with that list of a players and, and I mean, I could go on and on because there's like 15 or 20 more I could name, like, what was it like going there? And how intimidating was that for you to walk into that environment?
1: Ooh, all right, God, you have some great questions. You're Hey, don't quit your day job, john. Okay. <laughs> um, so let me say this. I, the first day I did Second City twice. I started when I was in my early 20s in Chicago and I was doing the off-Broadway show. Then I had to travel a bunch and I was kind of out, of, I paid rent in Chicago, but I didn't necessarily live in Chicago. So I came back to Second City when I was 27 and a little bit more life experience. Now, let me share this part with you. Growing up, sang, danced, acted. High school was in the comedy sketch show for my high school, always voted. I'm going to toot my own horn toot, toot, best actress. Voted class clown by my peers. Okay. So I was told I was funny from a young age. That was what people told me. When you walk into a second city class or any improv class, the funniest person in the room is never going to succeed. You try to make a joke. You try to be the punchline, it's never going to work. It's the truth and the reaction to the what the person in front of you just said that is the comedic piece. It's the reaction. It's the yes and, we call it. It's the being present in that moment and making the person you're on stage with look good. And it took me many classes to figure that out. So I was not, I was not good at improv when I first started. And I'm going to be real with you, I don't even consider myself... an amazing improviser to this day. I just understand comedy and I surround myself with the funniest people because they make me look good. And I make them look good because I believe the crap out of them and I know how talented they are. So when I first walked in that door, I had what I call the ick factor. It's where my armpits or anybody's armpits get really sweaty. And you just feel disgusting. Like you're like, how, ugh, how can I walk in this room? I'm ugh. And so every, every class I would get sweaty. My stomach would turn. I would feel like, sometimes I would just be like, I can't go today because then I'd make up some excuse. And then a light bulb hit. I trained at all the major schools in Chicago. It actually took me going to two more schools of thought, of, of improv comedy to find my voice. And when I found her, that's when the magic happened. I learned I didn't have to be the funniest person. My goal was just to get on stage and support. And that's when it became like therapy. That's when it became like a drug that I kept wanting more and more of. And that's when I actually really considered myself an improviser. But it was not a natural thing. I grew up with a script, punching punchlines. I grew up just really... And i'll say this to this day i'm type A and my whole entire internal team there's only most of them actually now are not improvisers my facilitators are improvisers. But it's an anomaly to find an improviser who's type A improvisers are this amazing special breed of human and I had to learn to let go of control and to not. I still you know, say this now, I'm a recovering perfectionist turn fail fluencer. I had to lean into the suck. I had so many bad shows, John. I can't even, I mean, and my dear husband, we've been together 14 years. He saw a lot of really bad ones and he'll make fun of them now, right? But it was when they sucked, you just felt it. You felt like you were, everything sucked after that. Like nothing could be good because you were so bad that last night on stage so your next day you would have to work through that i had so many of those but uh i i'm i'm grateful for that training and i'm grateful for the times that i persevered through it because it brought me this amazing team of people i have and so i'm so lucky to surround myself with them
0: we'll be right back to my interview with aaron deal Finding a doctor that has to be one of the most inconvenient things that we have to do. And recently I was searching for a new dermatologist when I stumbled upon ZocDoc. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. There are some amazing doctors out there, but let's face it, the only ones that matter are the ones who actually take your insurance. And who wants to waste time hunting down Aunt Linda's cash-only chiropractor anyhow? ZocDoc is a free app App that shows you doctors who are not only patient-reviewed; they also take your insurance and are available when you need them. Go to zocdoc.com/passionstruck and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's slash passionstruck Zocdoc.com/passionstruck. And please support those who support our show. Now back to my interview with Aaron Deal. Well, I understand there are five basic rules to improv. And for someone who's never done it before, could you kind of tell them what some of those ground rules are?
1: Oh my God, John, you this research is on par. So first and foremost, yes. And that is one of the biggest tenets of improvisation. And that means you don't have to agree with everything somebody says on stage. It just means you don't negate their idea. To move a scene forward so if you and i are on stage say something to me real quick what's a line of dialogue you might say to me on stage
0: why do you like pizza so much
1: i don't like pizza i have a gluten intolerance john
0: an intolerance to gluten
1: yes i
0: why don't you eat a gluten-free pie then
1: because i don't like gluten-free pies Okay, so let's see, okay, that was, a, that was a scene, right? A little little mini scene. That could have been changed. And right there, what I don't know if you felt it, but for me, that was me negating your idea, right? So there was nowhere for us to continue that scene by me shutting it down, saying, I don't like pizza, I have a gluten intolerance. You were like, well, why don't you try gluten-free? And, and then I just shut it down again. A way that I could have changed that was when you said, if I could have responded to it, yeah, oh my gosh, pizza. I love pizza with pineapple and pepperoni. It's my favorite, it's Hawaiian. Have you ever had Hawaiian pizza? And then we could have kept going back and forth and sharing ideas. That's yes and in action. It's taking what somebody says and adding to it, not negating it in its tracks. It's a life skill, it's a philosophy, it's a stage skill, it's everything. It's the foundation in which my business is built on. So that's one. Two is there are no mistakes, only gifts. So I have this sign behind me, if if your listeners are listening, so you can't see it, but it says fail, yeah. And so anything that happens on stage that may be a mistake to you and I, it actually doesn't become a mistake. We make it a part of the scene. So if we were talking, and let's say I spilled my water on my computer, and I was like, oh crap, and it fell, right? Instead of letting that just sit and moving on, and people are like, why did she say, oh, crap? I say, oh, craps. Craps is my favorite game to play in Vegas. John, have you been to Vegas lately? Remember I told you about that convention I was speaking at in Vegas? So, And then that can continue this conversation, but instead of it just letting it be the mistake, I let it be a part of the conversation. So no mistakes, only guess is just a philosophy that we are driving home in organizations we're driving home in our own organization it is about progress not perfection and it's really about allowing failures to be a part of our day-to-day because if you're not failing you're not trying you're not innovating you're remaining stagnant so we celebrate that failure and that's an improv philosophy and an improvement philosophy all the things i'm gonna go quick because i got five so number three give and take so A good improv scene is literally about give and take, same in working relationships, same in personal relationships, allowing each person's voice to really feel heard. One of the fourth roles, and these are just my, I mean, there's so many roles, but these are my personal five roles that I really lean into as improv as a teaching tool is support which goes into yes and but it's really about supporting the people around you making them look good and one of the things that we say every time like yesterday we did this showcase for 80 some people and my team were on zoom we look at each other and we're like got your back and we like pat the back of our computer screens and if we're in person we'll obviously pat each other's back but that in itself is showing each other i got you you're not alone in this i'm gonna support you because how else can you go on stage for 30 minutes and make something up with seven people without supporting them so is that number four that was number four right Number five, if I were to say out of all of the fundamentals that improv really does, it is about leaning into this notion of everybody is a genius poet.
0: Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things. And Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site, it's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes, Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities from scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates. It's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit To get your jobs, more visibility at indeed.com slash passion struck. Just go to indeed.com slash passion struck right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash passion struck terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember. So we put them all at passion struck.com slash deals. Now back to passion struck
1: and scholar. So, this is from a quote from one of the most famous um, improvisers, Del Close, that he helped create one of the schools of, co- of thought of comedy in Chicago. And he said, if you, if you think that every single person is a poet, artist, and a scholar, a genius poet and a scholar, that right away, you're not judging them. You are allowing that person to show up in their greatest self and if you play from that place of intelligence that you think yourself as of your yourself as a poet a genius or a scholar you're going to show up with confidence and you're going to make the other person on stage feel so confident and happy to be standing next to you too so in communities and organizations and teams that's just believing in the people around you and instilling that confidence in them that they can show up and do good work So those are my five
0: while you're doing improv. Is it a no, no to ask someone an open-ended question?
1: It is a no, no, it is a a no, no. That's actually about giving a, that's actually like we say, give gifts, right? So instead of me saying, what do you think about pineapple pizza? I could say, oh, John, pineapple pizza is fantastic have you ever put pepperoni on top of the pineapple pizza? And right there, I'm giving you like a more specific thing to answer instead of being like, what do you think about pineapple pizza? I'm giving you specifics that you can take and add to. And the open-ended question piece, as you kind of, for lack of a better word, an experienced improviser, you can ask questions because you know the way to ask them. But in the very beginning stages of improv training, you are told to not give questions or to ask questions. You're told to just give, give nuggets so that you can take that nugget and add to it. Don't, don't do the work or don't make the person do the work, your scene partner, actually do the work for them.
0: So this is something that to me scares me to death because mm-hmm. if you're a fan of Susan Kane. In her book, Quiet, I'm what they call a high reactive person, which means very much introverted. To me, even the thought of doing something like that or public speaking, which amazing, I'm doing a podcast.
1: I was going to say,
0: it <laughs> is very nerve wracking. But I, I have to tell you a story. When I was a senior executive at Dell, Michael Dell asked me to go on an around the world trip with a friend of his who was starting. At that time, a relatively small company called Salesforce. And so I went around the world with Mark Benioff to all these different countries and cities. But every time I would do one of these speaking engagements with them, he never followed the script. And so it was always the two of us interacting, and I had no clue what was going to come out of his mouth. So I sat there like on pins and needles, like, where is he going to go today? And the most funny example of it was we got to do the keynote for Dreamforce. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a big conference, and there are about 50,000 people in front of us. And we had rehearsed the day before. We're up there at the teleprompter. He doesn't use it at all, so no. <laughs> he starts ad-libbing again. And then to make it worse, he's got some very diverse friends, and one of them is Will I Am, and Will I Am is sitting. At the front of the entire auditorium making googly eyes and trying to get us both to crack up to me that was like my worst nightmare but it was almost like i was in an improv
1: situation right there (laughs) on steroids that's like improv on steroids in front but you nailed it john you were an improviser you are an improviser you know that right do you know that
0: i just did what had to be done (laughs) <laughs> as well as I possibly could, while not completely losing it, because I wanted to just burst out in laughter. Plus, it was like a comedy show because, like, five foot ten, he's like six foot eight, so oh, <laughs> he
1: kept this oh. big
0: towering guy over me.
1: That is anyway. a, well. Can I say something to you about that though? Because I wanna give you so much credit. You need to give yourself credit where credit is due. First of all, you have a podcast, okay? This is improv at its finest. You're reacting to anything your guests say. So you are an improviser. Number two, that is improv on steroids. That would make Bill Murray shake i think because if there's a teleprompter in a script and you've got people trying to get you off out of your element and out of the presence of where you're at supposed to be focused on this teleprompter that in itself is is improvisation and it's hard anybody would be nervous because that's a large audience and you don't know where it's gonna go but the beautiful thing is is that you've believed in yourself enough to do this like you were traveling with michael dell You have this insane confidence about you to be able to get to that place, to be able to stand in front of 50,000 people. And this is improv. Like you are improvising this whole time. That is something that I find a lot of people find intimidating is the word because it automatically makes you think, oh my gosh, I have to think quickly on the spot. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. I'm just talking, right? But this is improv. And this is every single day of our lives is an improv scene. We get to choose an adventure after an adventure. And the beautiful thing about you is that you don't even recognize that power is that you are an improviser. You're doing it. And it is a really... Uh, interesting thing too with the introvertedness. I want to say, a lot of my team would classify that we have twenty-two facilitators between New York, Chicago, L.A. Definitely an extrovert. I'm like I put the extra an extrovert, but my team are classified introverts. But you put them on stage, and they come alive. But I want you to take some credit because you are an improviser. You just the word choice may be a little scary, but you do it every day.
0: I just had to get off the stage and uh, <laughs> take a two day break <laughs> 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 to digest what just happened. Oh. I actually wanted to cut a joke on uh, Will I Am, and I probably should have. The, the crowd would have probably loved it because they would have yeah. probably panned in on him doing it. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. So I did want to ask what are some of the life benefits that you have seen from learning improv and some of the things, as you're working with clients that you've seen it benefit them and how they've changed their approach or, or maybe style.
1: Mm. I'm going to talk personally and then I'll go clients because improv changed my life. Obviously I've made it my livelihood. Um, when I started really diving back into improv in my late 20s, I was working at a recruiting firm. I was doing business development. Talk about having real life doors slammed in your face. Like it was, people did not want what I was selling. I've never done sales in my life. It was the training ground I needed to build this business. I did not know that at the time, but everything that I was doing on stage in my classes, on rehearsals, it started spilling into my day to day, my professional life. And that's why I got this idea for improve it. I was a better listener. I was so present. I was more aware of my surroundings. I was more empathetic and all of those things combined made me a better professional It made me a better friend, a better wife, a better sister, daughter, all of the things. And so once Improve It was formed, we've been in business now eight years, I started to really see the magic of this teaching tool come to life. And we work mostly with teams. I've also coached individuals, but when I walk into a room, let's say it's 20 people on a team and they have had challenges with communication, maybe there's cultural changes, maybe there's, I don't know, a global pandemic. that had forced them to change the way they work. We can take two hours of our time and depending on whatever power skill we're training on, we'll walk in that room, there'll be 20 people, but we'll walk out and it will be a cohesive group of 20. It is transformative in the way that it fosters crea- connection, creativity, the way that it allows people to drop the hypothetical mask that they wear to work. And I say this with love, we all wore masks to work before 2020. It was, a, it was very apparent to me in the past two years how much we have actually had to drop by being at home because people are seeing into our homes and our lives. It's, it's really <coughs> interesting to get back and doing these in-person events to be able to see what it's like now because i think people are actually more connected now than ever it's an interesting art form and one that i think has a magical almost spiritual presence to it and if you like oprah you know what i'm talking about oprah is a spiritual person for me it's it's a transformative teaching tool that allows people to bring their whole selves and in bringing their whole selves they really allow themselves to play and in that play, that's where we teach what we're there to teach.
0: This leads me into a great jumping off point into another topic I wanted to get into with you, which is imposter syndrome, because you were alluding to it in what you were talking about. But I was surprised to find that there are 62 studies that show that between 9 and 85% of everyone at some point. Or another has imposter syndrome that they go through. How do you deal with imposter syndrome yourself? And how have you helped clients you've worked with deal with imposter syndrome? Mm,
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the biggest fundamentals that we teach is we have 10 different offerings that we have with clients, but the overarching theme is confidence and bravery. Those two words go hand in hand for me. I can tell you with so much certainty that when i started improve it i felt like a fraud i felt like this how am i supposed to do this i'm not on main stage at second city i'm not being flown to lauren michaels in new york to audition for saturday night live I'm. how am i how is the improv community in chicago gonna take this that was my first thought the second piece was I know how to create long lasting relationships, I can do the business piece. But I don't have the same clout as somebody else who's been doing this for 10 years. I I just have me and my knowledge of improv. The overwhelming amount of positive self talk that I had to give myself in those early stages has really got me to the place I am now. But I'll tell you this, it's a daily practice. I constantly have to get myself in a space where I'm able to talk like this. So let me explain that just a little bit. Um, And this kind of spurs into another thing. I started Improve It in 2014. I was married. I wanted to have a child. I could not get pregnant. And my husband and I went through several years of infertility battles and There's a very, very long story to that that I won't get into, but um, we use science, lots of science, and I was, at that time, running the business on a different type of energy. It was a frantic, it was a reactionary, it was not the place that I am now, and through that I had to really become a mindful person. I had to learn meditation, I had to learn energy, I had to learn all the things that are a part of my daily work today. And I had to fill myself with that because I wasn't able to fill my team or anybody else's cup unless I had that tea kettle full. So through the lens of mindfulness, meditation, and really allowing myself to connect with my creativity, in a deeper, meaningful way. I have overcome, I will not say overcome, I have stepped next to imposter syndrome, and when she starts to creep up, I give her a little elbow to the face. The more I practice, the better I become at overcoming it. Improv allows you to experience a lot of these techniques and tools, and it allows you to be, we call it experiential learning, allows you to actually feel what it feels like to do it the right way, and through that, your confidence is built and the imposter syndrome subsides. And I I really do believe that this was my calling. This was what I was supposed to do here on earth. Like this is my purpose. And so when I facilitate now, I and I've always felt this. It it doesn't feel like Aaron Deal. It's a version of me. It's like Sasha Fierce from Beyoncé and it overtakes, it overtakes and it's not me talking because some Aaron Deal sometimes doesn't say these things. It is a force that has been channeled through myself to help people connect and feel more confident and brave because I want people, I want every single person to feel like they are special, like they belong. And, And that's what cultures need, people need. And that's what improv does, is it makes you feel seen, heard, and valued, and like you belong. And that's why I love it as a tool. And that's why that combined with mindfulness will always be what helps me combat that.
0: I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Valerie Young, but in 2011, she wrote a groundbreaking book about why people suffer from imposter syndrome. But in it, she identifies that there are basically five different types. The perfectionist, meaning everything that you do, you feel you have to be perfect at the natural genius, so you think you're smarter than everyone in the room, the soloist, meaning you believe that you don't need anyone else to help you accomplish important things. You're the one who does it. The expert, so you're the expert in everything. And then the superhero, which is the world can't exist without your superpowers in it. And out of that list, which one have you personally identified with the most and why?
1: I've not heard this book, but I'm going to read it. So thank you. I would say the perfectionist. When you said that, I was like, mm hmm. And that's why I call myself a recovering one because turn fluencer. I now dub myself a fail fluencer. That's a self title, gave myself that title. But oh my God, perfect. I mean, let me just even say today, John, we launched a mastermind page on our website we're launching a mastermind today i could have sat with that landing page and my marketing manager for probably two more days but today was the day we were launching it and it was like nitpick and nitpick and nitpick and i finally just said this is a my, this is amazing this isn't exactly exactly perfect let's put it out there because we need to get this word out we need people to understand this is happening Perfectionism in itself is stifling. It is not appealing to the people that you work with. It's, um, it actually allows you to self doubt and think about what others think and more than actually just going forward. So I've started to really just lean in. This isn't AA a plus this is C plus, or B. I'm going to put out the B so I can move on to get to the next thing. And the more that I've allowed myself to lean into that muscle, the more that I've created. And in that creativity, when I get into creativity mode and into flow mode, so many good ideas come. And it's going to be, I mean, there's going to be a hundred ideas before one of them is really great, right? So trying, trying failing, trying, failing, trying, tweaking, failing, doing it again and again and again, has really become what has catapulted improve it to the level it is today. And I will tell you, we were completely in-person business prior to the pandemic and we had to become completely virtual overnight. So there were, I mean, I could give you like 500 fails that we did in the past two years and we just had to let go of of the perfection and, and make it happen, or we wouldn't exist.
0: Let's explore this fail fluencing. Man, I, <laughs> I love that name, fail fluencing. Yeah. So, so you're going to love this. When I was at Lowe's, uh, we, we talked a little bit about this before you came on the show. One of my peers and, and probably one of my closest friends uh, was a gentleman named Steve Shirley. And we used to always tease him because he went to this university called Clemson. and <laughs> He would always just totally irk our boss, who was the CIO, because he's like, Steve, we have to learn how to fail fast and fail often. And Steve used to get so mad. He goes, why would I want to fail? We need to succeed and succeed often. He's like, no, you don't get it. Failure brings you success. My question is, why do you think failure is equally important as success?
1: Oh, my God. Well, if you don't fail... You can't succeed because it's this is imposter syndrome, the spinning wheel of I have to keep trying until it's absolutely perfect. And if I don't make it perfect, I'm not going to put it out into the world. You could just sit and sit and sit on perfection. But it is that failure that we learn. I mean, you don't, you learn more at the bottom than you learn more at the top. And that is true for everything in life. And this idea of Phil Fluencing happened in 2020 when I watched contract after contract be ripped up from under us. I watched every improviser who was performing on all these beautiful stages sit at home and have to learn how to improvise on Zoom. Um, when I watched our clients who were, you know, so excited for us to come in person not want to work with us because they were like, how does this work over Zoom? And so, I mean, the things that we did in the beginning of 20, of March of 2020 were so reactionary. And I look back now and I'm like, that's because we were just figuring it out. And a lot of them didn't work. But we kept trying and we kept trying and we kept trying and that's why i said i'm a fail fluencer because i just told my team we're gonna celebrate that's one of the biggest rules of improv no mistakes only gifts so this this membership program failed okay what did we learn i don't know don't throw up everything you have to your membership and give them space to learn so they aren't overwhelmed by the work that you're you're hoping to help them with It's learning that this isn't going to work exactly how we have it in person, but here's how we can tweak it and let's do it again and let's tweak it and let's do it again and it really is in that perfectionism that stifles innovation through the pandemic we put every single offering that we have online on zoom we created pre-work videos that now serve as the pre-work courses to our offerings. We created something called Laugh Break, which is laughter infused into your Zoom meetings, which we just did two of them yesterday. We created this podcast that I have. We created this mastermind program that we're launching. We created revenue streams that we never would have created unless we just tried them and failed at, at the first iteration. And I'm really proud of that. And my team and I, we have failure parties quarterly. So instead of um, creating like a vision board of the of the next quarter, we make a, a PowerPoint and we put pictures on it of the things that we did both personally and professionally that sucked. And we present them to each other and it's we celebrate, we say fail, yeah. And those are the F words that we want at work, failure. For us, failure plus the frequency of it equals the fundamentals of success. Because the more you fail, the more you're trying, and the more you're trying, the more you're innovating. And you're not just sitting. Sitting. I I heard this. We had a a wonderful guest on our show, Kara Golden, the founder of Hint Water. She said, complacency will kill you. And that's what not trying is, is, is complacency. It's the opposite of of failing. I look at failure as one of the most positive words in my vocabulary now. I really do.
0: Well, I think that's a great logical um, point to ask this next question, which is what is the link between failure and building resilience and perseverance?
1: Oh my God. I mean, if I had like a special skill on my resume, (laughs) It would be perseverance. <laughs> and I I mean, John, I can even just tell you like there was an incident with my payroll company that I've been working with them on for months. And I just kept persevering through until finally I came up with a workaround recently. That they push through the thing that I've been trying to get them to push for through for three months today because I just kept going at it and going at it. And anybody who knows me, this is true for my business, this is true for life, I mean I basically was told I could never have a child. And I kept trying and I kept trying and I kept believing and I kept trying new methods and I'm I'm a mother because of that perseverance, I am still in business because I didn't just sit still when the world was sitting still. Everybody was binging Netflix. I'm like, listen, no, I'm binging YouTube on how to create a virtual business. <laughs> I think perseverance is. Just the key to anything great that we want to put out in the world, anything that you care about and you're passionate about. If you're passion struck, perseverance is next to failure in the words that would describe you, because If you have a lot of passion about something and you truly believe in it, you will not stop until it happens. And that's one of the greatest things that I've learned in my lifetime is that if I want something, I will make it happen because I will stop at nothing if I really believe that it's what I'm meant to do or something that can help somebody else.
0: I believe when you bring up passion struck, to me, passion struck isn't a final destination. It's a state of something you're trying to achieve. And I think throughout life, we've got pitfalls and other things that hit us. So at some points in your life, you could be closer to the ideal aspect of self actualization. And at other times, life hits you and you're kind of going through this rebuilding process. But to me, it's that constant desire to want to be your best version of yourself. And let's face it, the one equalizer that we all have in life, regardless of background, skin color, anything else is we are all going to face obstacles. And it's how you come out of those obstacles that defines who you are and what you can become. So I agree with you. I heard you like to play games. And I was wondering if you would like to play a game.
1: Let's play a game, John. I'm here. I'm here for it. Let's go.
0: My understanding is when you coach your clients, you often have them do games around mm-hmm. improv. So I was hoping and believe me, I'm stepping way out of my comfort zone here because I have no idea what's coming next. I was hoping you might talk us through one and we can just do it for a couple minutes.
1: John. Oh my God. So I get to, I get to coach the game that's what, yes, i thought you, you were do. gonna give me the game okay absolutely and let me just say this i know you're stepping out of your comfort zone right now we are gonna take uh the john that was at dell in salesforce or dreamforce however many years ago and we are going to transform this experience because you're about to be an all-star here we go here we go <laughs> all right let's do yes and i think this is just very applicable because it talks a lot about what we were talking about with support and it's a very easy very fun game all right so Here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna plan a summer bash, okay? You and me. And we're gonna come up with food, entertainment, and a location for the summer bash. Here's the caveat. You, every time you share an idea, are gonna say yes and. You're gonna be a lot of excitement. You're gonna share it with energy, enthusiasm. I'm gonna be Debbie Downer, and I'm gonna say no because to every idea, all right? And then I'm gonna pause us halfway through and I'm going to give us a little change of direction, but let's just start there. Does that sound good? We'll right. try this out. All right. Yes, and Say yes, Anne. And just tell me about this party. Who's going to be there? What's the food? All of that.
0: Oh, my God. We are putting on this huge party in Kiwa Island. And it is going to be right there where the golf course is, overlooking the majestic ocean. It is going to be so incredible. We're going to have all kinds of dignitaries from Charleston there. People are going to come down from Columbia, Savannah, Charlotte, you name it, as well as a whole bunch of my friends here from Florida.
1: No, because if we plant it near the ocean, it's probably going to be hurricane season. And I don't want to put people in that type of situation. It doesn't sound like a good idea, John.
0: Well, yes. And I've thought about that because if we do have bad weather, there are alternate plans that we can put in place where they still have this amazing resort where we could use their inside facilities. You should see this bar they have. It is so ornate. People would just gather around it. They would have so much fun. We could do different types of hors d'oeuvres. I think people would just love it.
1: No, because I am not a big fan of finger food hors d'oeuvres. We need to do like a full course meal, We need everybody sitting at a table because there's just too much going on with a buffet right now. I don't like small foods. I don't like finger foods. Not going to work.
0: I can see why we might want to do that. So maybe we could do both. Start out by doing some hors d'oeuvres and then get into a bigger meal where we could then use this as this amazing opportunity to invite some of the guests to come on and maybe do an improv of our own up there amongst everyone
1: yes but do you think everybody would be interested in improv
0: yes i think if we did it in the right vein and did it with a spirit of fun that it would be something everyone would enjoy
1: yes but do you have a guest list a very specific guest list
0: yes i have over 150 people identified that i would like to have at this party
1: Yes, and I have another 150 people that I know in Charleston, so I could I could piggyback off that list. We have 300 people at this site.
0: Yes, it sounds like a wedding.
1: <laughs> yes, and you know what's so funny? I got married in Charleston, so I have the perfect band.
0: Yes, and who would that be?
1: Yes, and it's Kiana, Parler, and Friends, and Kiana was actually a backup singer for Kelly Clarkston.
0: Well, yes, let's do it. That would be hard to beat
1: yes i'm so excited okay take a bow john take a bow take a bow you nailed it you nailed it now i i sort of didn't tell you the change of direction i just did it but you said yes and the whole time i was debbie downer no because for a couple of back and forths then i came in with a yes but what did what happened there did you notice i changed to yes but
0: i did and i was wondering should i change to debbie downer (laughs) (laughs) i just kept going with it
1: no it was great it was great because i wanted you to feel that energy shift in between the no because and then when i started saying yes but because we say in improv that no because is a fun vacuum it squashes all of the ideas there was really nowhere else i mean i felt like you felt that i felt that i don't like being the no because person right it's like there's really nowhere else to take the conversation because i've squashed the fun that you were trying to bring Then I said, yes, but, and we say in improv that, that yes, but is like no dressed up in like a fancy little tuxedo with a bow tie. It's yes, I hear you, but there's still a caveat. Yes, but I don't like finger foods. Yes, but do you have a guest list? Kind of still squashing the idea, not fully giving it the breath and the energy it needs. But then when I started saying yes and, what did you feel? Was there a difference there when I yes anded you as well?
0: yeah i mean it felt like you were more getting on board with what we were doing
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i felt more energetic and then i felt it made you more energetic we had a great band i mean kiana would crush it and then we had this awesome list of people 300 people and it was this energy that was sharing of ideas and so it's through that lens of yes and that companies and people are able to share ideas, build off each other's ideas, make people feel heard. Because when people feel heard, that's when they wanna show up. And when they wanna show up, that's when productivity rises. And when that happens, everyone wins. So that's the beauty of this, of one of the biggest rules of improvisation is how you can make people feel seen, heard, and wanna show up at work, use yes and, use it. <laughs>
0: Well, now I'm going to get you to play a little bit of a game.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay.
0: (laughs) One of the favorite spots on this podcast is people love the quick question and answer period. So I'm going to just ask you a series of four or five quick questions. Yes. So you are invited to guest host the Late Late Show and you have to do car karaoke. Who are you going to invite in the car with you?
1: Oh, my God. Okay, Beyonce, just 1,000% Beyonce.
0: Okay. You have a ton of success habits. What is your most predominant one?
1: Morning routine.
0: Okay. And what's the name of the most played song on your phone? Oh,
1: man, it's a tie, but I'm going to... Okay, I'm going to go... unstoppable by Sia
0: okay and what is your most disdainful chore that you have to do
1: oh <laughs> it's not a really gross one but I'll say um disdainful chore I hate picking up this is gross my hair off the bathroom floor I have long hair so it's really gross I have to basically it's like a mop every day of my hair it's gross
0: anything worse than that is having to get it out of the drain as I have to do with my 18 year old all the time. What is your favorite form of exercise? Running. Okay. And then the last one, and my favorite one is I've had a number of astronauts on this podcast. And so if you were an astronaut, and you were on the mission to Mars, and the governments involved said the first people who land on Mars can put in a law principle or edict for the rest of Mars history, what would it be?
1: Oh, this is the best question ever. Um, that everyone wears a sign around their neck that says, make me feel important and everyone adheres to the sign. I want to live on Mars.
0: That's a good one That is one I have not heard yet before. The listener who's out there and you got to name the company a bunch of times but what are some different ways that they can connect with both you and your company?
1: Thank you. You can, we have a podcast, the improve it podcast, John, we got to have you on the improve it podcast. So that is one of the ways you can listen to even more tips and tricks on improv training, anywhere you listen to the pods, improve it, Sorry, that is not my website, learntoimproveit.com, learntoimproveit.com is our website. I'm the only and Deal from Improve It on LinkedIn, and my Instagram is keeping, no G, it real deal, D-I-E-H-O, and I'm just keeping it real with the reels these days. It's like, ugh, I never thought I would dance and do voice dub things, but I'm doing it, John, I'm doing it. So gotta, gotta lean in, gotta lean in, but that's it. And I'm so grateful to have been on this show. Thank you so much.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed doing it with you. Thanks again. Thanks. Big shout out to Aaron Deal and all things Aaron are located in the show notes at passionstruck.com. Please use our website links. If you buy any books from the guests on the show, they all go to supporting the show and making it free for our listeners. I place videos of all these episodes on my YouTube channel at John R. Miles and advertisers deals and discounts are all located in one convenient place at passionstruck.com deals. Please consider supporting those who support the show. And I'm at John R. Miles, both both on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also find me at LinkedIn. If you want to know how I book all these amazing guests on the podcast, it's because of my network. Build those relationships before you need them. And most of the guests on the show actually subscribe to the podcast and contribute ideas for topics and guests. Come join us. You'll be in smart company. You're about to hear a preview of the Passion Struck podcast with Dr. David Yaden, an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. His work in the Center for Psychic. Psychedelic and Conscious Research focuses on the psychology, neuroscience, and psychopharmacology of so-called spiritual, self-transcendent, and other positively transformative experiences. I think we can call these experiences self-transcendent experiences. This is like an umbrella term. And self-transcendent experiences, there's a lot of different ones, but they seem similar in that they're all intensely altered states of consciousness involving some degree of self-diminishment and feelings of connectedness and these range in intensity. The fee for this show is that you share it with friends or family members when you find something useful or interesting on the show. If you know someone who's really into improv and all this nonverbal communication stuff, definitely share this episode with them. The greatest gift that you can give us is to share this show with those that you care about. In the meantime, do your best to apply what you hear on the show so that you can live what you listen to. And we'll see you next time. Remember, live life passion struck and